Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. If you would, please take out your Crosswalk notes. And we are continuing the series new. Faith changes everything. Faith changes everything. And so, what I, 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 I'm sure this is going to come up. People have been talking about the Super Bowl already. And today's the Pro Bowl. So I bet you're pretty excited about which team's gonna win the Pro Bowl today, right? You're like, oh, I wonder who's gonna win. And then you find out, I think they changed the way they do it so there isn't really, I guess you have to pick your favorite player, maybe someone from your team and, and cheer for that team. So then we look at the Super Bowl, right? We, we look at the Super Bowl, and we have Patriots, Seahawks, and so, just so we know, and, and I'm gonna ask for a show of hands here, how many of you are cheering for the Seahawks for the Super Bowl? Raise your hand. Oh, there's a bunch of haters here. Okay, hands down. <laughs> how many are cheering for the Patriots? Okay. And how many don't care? Excellent. That's what I thought. <laughs> I don't care. And, 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 and especially with the Super Bowl, I want to care. I want to care because we're going to a Super Bowl party, and at the Super Bowl party, I, I really think it's more fun if I'm cheering for a team. So I'm trying to think which team might I want to choose for, and the only association I can make is to Russell Wilson, who played his fifth year of college in Wisconsin, and I'm from Wisconsin, so... That's not very tight, can I? Yeah, see, I'm reaching, just so you know that I know. But the truth of the matter is, I don't care. I don't. And, and that's something that I want to talk about, though, is this idea of, of the number of people who can raise their hand immediately and say, I don't care. I just don't care. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little bit of a test. And you don't have to raise your hands now. I'm going to ask that you don't raise your hand. But, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to list eight different things. And what I want you to, to keep track of in your own mind and on your hands if you need to, how many of these things you don't care about, okay? I already said, number one, who wins the Super Bowl? Okay, I don't care. Second one, who wins the ALA soccer game on Wednesday? Next one is the flight patterns at Sky Harbor. Number four, a terrorist from ISIS this morning, 200 of them being killed. The next one is an American soldier being killed. The next one is layoffs, a layoff of about 1,000 people at eBay. The next one is the price of gasoline. And finally, homeless pets in Levine. And I have to imagine right now that, that a part of you is thinking, that's random, dude. Okay, those are like things that are like way out in, in totally different directions. And the reason why I did that, and I purposefully did that, is because 
The things that we care about are random. They really are. How crazy is this that I don't care about the Super Bowl, but I'm very interested in the ALA soccer game on Wednesday. How come it is that, that there can be and this is just being, I'm not saying this is right, but it's just, it's just the way that I'm thinking and, and feeling at the moment that when those terrorists for ISIS die, that not only would I say, I guess I don't care, but maybe a part of me says good. And then, but if it's my gas price going up 10 cents, I'm, that's going to cost me a dollar if I get 10 gallons of gas. Are you kidding me? And, and so we have this, what we care about and what we don't care about. And, and so, as I've looked at these, one of the things that, that I think we can understand is that if it affects me directly, I care about it. If it affects somebody that I love or someone that I'm associated with in some way or, or there's some type of a connection, I care about it. Or if it's an issue that for one reason or another that this issue is close to my heart, I care about it. But usually if it doesn't hit one of those three, it's kind of off my radar, and I look at it as not being my problem, and ultimately, because of that, because I have so many other things, I don't care about it. I, I, I'm not even going to give it time to think about it. Now as we look in, into this lesson today, the reason why this, this is so important is, as you look on your notes where it says at the very top, faith converts coldness into compassion. Get out your pen, I'd like you to write this. Faith converts coldness, and right above coldness, I want you to write, I don't care. Faith converts I don't care into compassion, and right next to compassion, I do care, and I'm going to do something about it. Faith converts I don't care into I do care and I'm going to do something about it. The reason why this message is so important is because I, I've been in many situations, some myself, others with, with people around me, where you get to a point where you say I don't care about something and since I don't care about it and that's the way I feel, that's never going to change. Today, James tells us that it does change and the thing that changes it is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Faith changes, Jesus changes, I don't care, into I do care, and I'm going to do something about it. We start in James chapter two, and if you have a, a Bible with you today, I ask you to open to James chapter two. If you have a phone app uh, with, with uh, the Bible on it, I ask you to open that as well, because there will be a portion that we read today that is not going to be on the screen, and it's not going to be uh, in your notes either. James chapter two, and, and we start with James chapter two, verse one. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. And what I want you to, to focus on, first of all, is the, the part I have highlighted, my brothers and sisters, and then those who are believers in our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters in Christ and those believers in Christ are really the same, same group of people. And what, what Paul is, or is doing, excuse me, what James is doing as he's writing to these people and why he cares about them 
is he's establishing connection. And when you have a connection with someone, you care about them. I already mentioned the Super Bowl. I don't care about the Super Bowl. But I guarantee you, if I had a child who was in the Super Bowl, or a brother, or some type of relative who was in the Super Bowl, I'd be wearing those, uh, those colors unapologetically today, and you would understand, because I have connection to them, and with that connection comes caring. And as James is writing to them, he's telling them, we have connection with each other because we have a connection with our Lord. Jeff and I talk regularly about our identity, about your identity. We are redeemed child of God. Each one of us is a redeemed child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and so you know what that means is, hold it, you're, you're, you're a child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ? So am I. You know what that makes us? Brothers. Who knew? And, and as I look around, I'm a, I'm a child of God. You are that it makes you my sister. How crazy is that? And all of a sudden, what you have is the beginning of this connection, not only with God, but with one another. And when that connection is there, the caring begins as well. And it's not only for those who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, but we also have a caring for other people who are also children of God, at least made by God. And we look at that, and it is the beginning of connection. And so in the blank you can write, Jesus is speaking to people who are new. People like you and me, people who are new, people who look at themselves differently, who look at themselves through the lens of their God who who did so many things for them, who has done everything for us spiritually. And and then he gives the subject, what we're going to start talking about is favoritism. And, And he's telling us there is no favoritism. And so... As we consider that, we go to the next portion from James chapter 2, verse 5. James chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? And, And what James is pointing out here is that when God chose us, that he did not show favoritism. And specifically, as he looked at this, that he, he, he's saying that God went to those who were, were poor, those who didn't have anything to offer. And so God did not show favoritism by going just to rich people or, or those with the most influence or power. But he came in humility. In Matthew eleven twenty five, these are the words of Jesus echoing the same truth. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So it's not about how much money you have. It's not about how, much, how smart you are. But God comes to you with love and mercy. In the blank, you can write, in his relationship with us, God shows no favoritism. God shows no favoritism. And that's nice to hear because we do show favoritism. And favoritism hurts. And sometimes uh, favoritism even scars us. I can say that as someone who has three older brothers. And there were times when we would get together with the kids in the neighborhood to, to play baseball back, back in the day. 
and we would go through that process, you know the process of all the kids standing out there and then the two best players being the captains and then them picking who's going to be on their team. And so I was the youngest, I was the worst bad. They didn't even want me out there in the first place. And, and so I, I would stand there and watch as every other person was picked and favoritism was shown based on their ability, right? That's the way that it works. And then the worst would be if maybe there were 13 kids playing and you get down to the very last one, otherwise known as Dan Slofra, <laughs> and, and the team whose turn it was to pick would say, why don't you go on their team? We're actually better off without you making an out every time you get up. And because you can't catch, uh, we're better off having no one there than, than maybe thinking that you might catch the ball. Favoritism. At times when, when others around us are, are chosen instead of us. And now if you open to James chapter 2, if you have it, I'm going to read James chapter 2 beginning with the second verse. And he describes the favoritism that was going on. It says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? And so he's describing a situation, this, this situation where favoritism is shown by, by how much money people have or how many possessions they have. That takes us to the next point where we're at, James 2, verses 8 to 10. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. See, the law is, is based on love. Love God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. Favoritism is a different law. Favoritism is love me and love what this person can do for me. And that is why it's such a breach of the law that it completely destroys the law. It's the exact opposite of what the law is there to teach us. In the blank, you can write favoritism asks, what can this person do for me? What can this person do for me? Mercy asks, what can I do for this person? They're opposites, favoritism versus mercy. One of the things when we have confirmation class and it's seventh and eighth graders, 
that uh, one of the things I, I used to do was when I, when I taught the class was we would always have time at the end of the class to go do something outside. And so we would go play basketball, we would maybe throw the football around or something like that. And so what we would have to do is we would have to have teams, right? And you gotta get a little game going, my competitive juices. And so what I would do is I would always pick the teams. And, and I would say, okay, I'm, I'm one, and then probably the, the best uh, eighth grader that's there. And then I would say, and I get to pick the teams. And they would always say, that's not fair, you know, you're gonna beat us. And I would always pick the kids that I felt were the worst ones. And, and, and I, w- I would say, these are, the, th- these are the ones I want on my team, and we're gonna kick your butt. That's the way it's working. And, and the reason why I did that is because I've been there before. That, that I've been in that situation where I'm the one who hasn't been picked, the person that no one wants on their team. And when you have someone who says, I do want you on my team, I'm gonna use my pick, my first pick, to bring you to be with me, that, that it, you're shown mercy. And, and so, as we look at this, why this is so important with with our relationship with God and with favoritism is because you need to understand that when it comes to God and God showing mercy, you are the spiritually poor person. You are the spiritually dirty person. You are the person that comes that has nothing to offer God and what God has done is he has not shown favoritism, he's made that clear. But God has shown you mercy that God has seen you and said, you come and you be on my team. You come and be part of my family. You take my name. And having been shown mercy like that, that we then show mercy to others. And that is how coldness, I don't care, is changed into compassion. I do care, and I'm going to do something about it. being shown mercy. It's what our God is about and it's what he wants us to be about as well. The only issue is, you know, that's a great sermon, isn't it? That's a, I'm, I'm proud of myself today. That was, that was really good. Everyone here is nodding your head saying, you betcha, pastor. That favoritism, that's, that's bad. Favoritism is bad. <laughs> Showing mercy is good. If only it were that easy. And, and, and James knew that. And, and so, just so you know, this is the, like the encouraging part of the message. Right after James gets done with this, I'm just telling you, be ready for it, because it's going to hurt, because he's going to come and just hammer you, and hammer your heart. And this is why. And this is how. In James 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now you start with the fill-in. James speaks both to my sinful nature and my new man. So the sinful nature and the new man. Now, as we look at this, this is something James knew about the people, it's something you need to know about yourself, maybe you already do, and that is that there's a part of you that the sinful nature inside of you never goes away. 
I don't care who you are, this side of heaven, there is a part of you that, that is like, God, I don't care what you say, I don't wanna do what God wants me to do, that's the sinful nature. The new man says, God, I wanna do everything that you want me to do. I don't wanna show favoritism. I, you've shown me mercy, I wanna show others mercy as well. And so what happens is inside you, the, the sinful nature and the new man are, are constantly at war with each other and they're really battling over the steering wheel of your life. And so sometimes when the, the new man is there, favoritism, I'm, yeah, I'm, I already told you, I'm at confirmation class picking the, picking the, uh, the, the kids that aren't as good and so that's, oh gosh, I'm such, my, the Christian inside of me, this is great. And then other times, the, the sinful nature my goodness, that's fine if that's confirmation, but if I'm watching my daughter's basketball game, who's the coach got in there? What's the, this kid stinks. Get him out. Come on. I don't care about their feelings. I, I care about winning and about my child, period. That's about it. And, and, and James knew that, that that is the way that it goes, about the things we care about and the things we don't care about. And so there's this warning and, and we need this. The sinful nature only responds to the club. It only responds to threats. It, it, it has this fear of God that, that is not a true fear of God, but, but only shrinks away when possible punishment. It, it does what's in its own best interest. And, and understand this. This is the same way. I, I think of times when my kids especially were young, and you would be, be driving a long distance, and you would tell them, okay, be nice to each other, no poking each other. Come on, love your brother, right? Let's make this a peaceful car ride. And, and then finally, two hours in it would be, if I have to pull this car over, uh, you're gonna be sorry. And all of a sudden that works for 10 minutes. And, and so it's those threats, the constant threats, and then following through on the threats occasionally to make it stop and to understand that James is doing the same. And so as we, we go on from this point, understand that, that James is addressing both the new man and the sinful nature inside of us. We continue, James 2, 15 to 17. So now, you, you, okay, we've done this, right? We, I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna say I don't care, I'm gonna say I do care. And James addresses this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And so James is, he sees this scenario coming about where people are gonna go from coldness to compassion and where they get is they get, they get off of coldness to the point where they would say, I do care, but not care enough to do anything about it. And he's trying to tell them, just so you know, if you do care but don't do anything about it, you're still on the I don't care, just saying. And so in the blank you can write, concern without help is useless. Doesn't help that person at all. And in the same way, faith without action is dead. This is a tough section for me as a pastor to preach, it really is. Because from the time I was a, a little, 
A little kid was told, you know, believe in Jesus and you go to heaven. That's the way it is. That's the way it works. And that's true. And yet, at the same time that we realize that, that faith is not just about what is in my head, but it's also what's in my heart, and it's also what is in my hands. Jesus also said this another way. And so, trying to say it a number of different ways. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it, it stayed standing because it had its foundation on the rock. But those of you who hear my words and do not put them into practice, like foolish man who built his house on sand, the rains came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. These are hard words. You know, what, James, what are you saying? That, that James, you're making me feel like that maybe... I don't know where I'm at with God. I, I, I'm, this concerns me. He goes on. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. So show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. In the blank, you can write, knowing does not equal believing. Knowing does not equal believing. I'll say it one more way. That he's saying, James is saying, the battle against Satan and against sin in your life is not just fought on one front. It's not just fought in your head. But the battles against sin in your life are are going to be fought in your head, in your heart, and in your hands as well. Those are the battlefields on which we fight. And so if you go with one without the other, you're going to be in trouble. And, and And he's letting us know, be aware of this, that these are the places that we need to look, that we need to fight where God has called us to serve as his children. He then goes on from there to give an example of of the way that, that God has in mind. We go to James 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Just so we're clear, that, that, that James has gone back and forth on this and he said, that I just want to make sure this is clear. In our relationship with God, God does not show favoritism, which means you cannot earn God's favor by what you have or what you do or how smart you are or anything like that. God's gift to you of faith is in fact a gift given through Jesus Christ to all people. Just so we're clear. Then let's go to the next part, Hebrews 11. And and this is a a summary of a number of things that, that James says, and Hebrews as well. And it says, by faith Abraham obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Right after God called him, he showed faith by following, by doing what God told him to do. By faith Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger, By faith, Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Remember, he was ready to kill Isaac. 
And, and it was the hand of the angel that stopped him and God telling him, no, don't do it, Abraham. By faith, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. That, that was the thought process for Abraham, doing whatever God told him to do. Went from his head to his heart to his hands. And through these actions of Abraham, we are able to see that he indeed was a child of God. Through his actions, we were able to see what was in his heart. In the blank, you can write, faith alone saves. Faith alone saves. But saving faith is never alone. Another way that I'll say this we live in two worlds, really. Uh, the spiritual world and our relationship with God and a physical world. We have one foot in each world. And so in our relationship with God, where, where we think about this as a, as a courtroom, that, that God looks at us and he judges us and he judges our hearts. And, and God can look right into our heart and he can see what is there. And so when we stand before him at the judgment, it's not going to be all the things that we've done but he's, he's looking at that, that faith that's in our heart, that trust in Jesus Christ as our savior. And that is why it's credited to us as righteousness. But we also live in another world. And, and that world is the world in, in, around us, that, that people see what I do. And so it, it, we have an expression for this, don't we? That if I stand up here and, and I say things, but I don't do them, you say that I don't practice what I preach. And, and that's why in the second court, this is evidence. And, and that's what Abraham's life was. You want to see the evidence of what was in his heart? Just look at his life. And that is what James is saying to us as well. Let that evidence be seen. I had someone once say it to me this way. They, they asked a question. And they, the question they asked was, if being a Christian was a crime, would there be enough evidence against you to convict? And, and, and I thought about that with, with Abraham. Abraham would have gone away for life. That we have that evidence right there. For goodness sakes, look at all the things he did as, as a result of what was in his heart. And James has that same encouragement to let these things be seen. We go to the final point. Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In the blank, you can write, works are evidence of faith and give glory to God. works are evidence of faith and give glory to God. James is writing to these individuals because he's concerned about their hearts. And he understands that what is inside a person's heart can be seen in their lives. And the one thing that he was not seeing and, and the one thing that he wanted to encourage was them to show love and concern and compassion for one another. 
And when you look at this practically, where, where you go from here today, what do you take away from this message? I'm going to tell you that, that I don't want this to be like the guilt trip message where, where you, you start thinking, oh my goodness, there's so many poor people in the world. There's, how am I going to help every one of them? And, and that's not what this is about. When, when James is talking about the person who's in need, he's not talking about a million people, but he's talking about one person and that one person who's right in front of you. That, that person that you, you can have an impact on. Uh, there, there's a story I remember hearing about a, a person walking on the beach and, and they were walking on the beach and uh, they weren't really used to the beach and one of the things they noticed is, is that the tide came in and then it went out and there were all these starfish on the beach and, and they were gonna die because of the sun on the beach. And so the, the, the person started throwing these starfish back into the, the water. And someone uh, came by and said, what are you doing? There's, there's like thousands of these things. And he said, you're not gonna make a difference. And the person said, it makes a difference to this one. <laughs> and, and as we look at our lives, that it's the same way. That, that, that God calls us to make a difference and the way that we do that is, is one person at a time. And I will tell you personally the way that I have both received this and given this as much as any other way is in our growth group. Uh, and, and specifically, I'm in a number of growth groups, but my Wednesday night growth group is one that I just thoroughly enjoy. Times when, when people come in and and they're having a bad day or something going on in their lives or, or times where there's people who are sick or things that they want us to pray for and, and I care about these people and I, I, I love them. And being in the group together gives me that extra sense of connectedness to them that, that gives me an opportunity that otherwise I would not have. And it's these people also who get to know me, who have, have seen me on a daily basis that can tell when I'm starting to lose some energy and, and, and just notice or sense that something's wrong and, and will come up and say, how, how are you doing, man? What's going on? Uh, let's talk a little bit. And it can be just those little things that, that give the opportunity to take this wonderful gift that we have in Christ and to take this coldness and turn it into compassion in a way that that makes a huge difference on a daily basis. That is what James wanted for his people. That is what God wants for his children. And that is what I, as, as the discipleship pastor, as a brother in Christ, as a concerned Christian, want for you as well. And I have to believe that on some level that you enjoy that connectedness and community, not only with your Savior, but each other in that same way. That's what this message is about. It's about a relationship with God that flows over into every part of your life. May you enjoy that relationship because it has been given to you through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we are able to call one another brothers and sisters, that we are connected to you, that we are connected to Christ, and, and that we have the same purpose in our life, that we have the same destiny, that we'll be going to be with you and live with you in heaven. But we're not there yet, and because of that, we have some work to do. 
And, and part of that, as we look at that work, is, is going to your word and knowing more, but also a part of that is also doing more, looking for opportunities to, to put this into practice. So p- please be with us, Lord. Uh, we need your Holy Spirit to give us strength. We need your Holy Spirit to give us guidance. We need your word to, to keep us going day by day. So thank you, Lord, for that gift and help us to continue to grow in it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. The verse we had for today is, Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. And as you look at it, man, is the, what a great way to look at it when you think of going from coldness to compassion, that, that God calls us his friend, that I call you my friend, my brothers, my sisters, and that is connection, and that is the connection that we have through Jesus Christ. And now as you go, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. God bless your day. We'll see you on the patio.